Welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And uh, we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to AmazingLove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Christmas. Welcome to Amazing Love. You know, it's a great time of year, um, but I, I think it's a, it's a crazy busy time of year. Would anyone else agree? It's a crazy time, busy time of year. Um, there are the parties, there are the Christmas lists, the presents, there are the phone calls, there are the cards. I don't know if your family's doing a Christmas letter or sending something, you know, a photo out. Um, th there are the family memories that you need to make, whether it be sledding or whether it be ice skating, right? There's, there's all these things. And, well, I have a theory, I have th this, this observation that if activities were possessions, we'd all be hoarders. You know what I'm saying? Everyone would look into our lives and be like, that is ridiculous. It's way too much. It's way too crammed. And I consider a little bit of just all the, like, Christmas parties that are going on. Um, I was reading an article based on what's happening in the UK, and on December 9th, it is the most popular day to have the office party. Most popular day. And I was reading how they celebrate. I guess in the UK, they eat about 5,000 extra calories um, in the UK. That's a good way to celebrate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Then, then I was reading on, on different ways to celebrate and, and, and people and, and different rules about the office parties that if you go to an office party, you still have to keep it all together. You don't want to fly off the handle. You don't want to, you know, have some embarrassing things that will be posted on Facebook, social media. You still have to keep it all together, even if they have the open bar, whatever's going on. But as I consider everything going on, and because I'm just innately a party animal, um, I just ask this question, which is, sorry, um, I like those. How is Christmas best celebrated? And maybe it is with, with these cookies. I'm not sure. These are great cookies. Chocolate and peanut butter is just cheating, all right? So you don't even be a good cook. You can put chocolate and peanut butter together, and it's great. Anyway, but I wonder, how is Christmas best celebrated, right? Maybe you're asking the same thing. Is it really about the family get-togethers? Is it really about 5,000 extra calories? Is it really about getting the Christmas list fulfilled or creating those memories, um, sending the card or the perfect Christmas letter? I'm not sure it is. And now as we turn things over to a spiritual light, and that's why we've, came, we've come to a church, and welcome, by the way, if you're not a Christian. Welcome if you're watching online if you're not a Christian. I'm probably a little bit biased in my answer. And, and, and the answer that I believe is this, that 
Christmas is best celebrated when centered on Christ. Everything else is periphery. Everything else gets in the way. Everything else can be so much that when we narrow it down, I believe that truly to have a great Christmas is to look at the Son of God who came into the world and to realize that he came just for you. And I want to tell you he has come just for you. Whether you're just joining us at Amazing Love. He came for you because he knew your name, he knew the hairs on your head, and he wanted to show you just how much he loves you. So we celebrate when centered on Christ. And what we get to refer to today is, is someone who prepared us to celebrate. And, and, and he prepared us for the ultimate Christmas celebration. And I consider it wasn't Pinterest that is going to help us celebrate. And, and it was like before Mar Martha Stewart, there was this guy who taught us how the real celebration is done. What I want to talk about is John the Baptist, who could also be known as John the Preparer. Because his only job was to get people to, to celebrate Jesus. His only job was to prepare people as Jesus was coming to say, here he is. John the Baptist was familiar with pointing the attention back to Jesus. He was the one who said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said of himself, he must become greater, I must become less. John the Baptist's job was to point to someone greater. And this is a tangent. I want to get into just like extra knowledge for the day if you're a Christian. Okay, so this is like your extra, this is your PS, this is your add-on, the icing on the cake. Do you know that I believe John the Baptist's job is the same job we should hold? The goal and the epicenter and the, 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 the finality of a Christian is not to point to yourself, but to point to someone greater. And the way you follow Jesus the best is, is, is by how well you point to someone besides yourself. I'll never forget a pastor giving this illustration saying, we're like this guy, the guy holding the reflector. If you want to do Christianity well, it's based on how well you reflect the glory, the attention. Not to this guy, he's kind of strange. That's not Jesus. Um, but it's how you center it back to the glory of God. And it's funny because John the Baptist did this well. So well, in fact, that Jesus said of him, no one greater among those born of woman was John the Baptist. In, in general, then, I guess that's humans, so there was no one greater on earth. So as a tangent, here's one discussion. I believe if you want to become great, just be, keep pointing to the greatest one. I consider this because some of you may know I have a call to serve a different church. And I know I, I didn't want it to be disruptive for this congregation. I love you in the Lord. But one of the things it does, especially if you're a Christian, is it, is it lets you know once again that the church is not about a pastor. It absolutely isn't. I will fail you every time. It's not about an imperfect one, but it's about how imperfect ones point to the perfect one so that you can hold them like never before. And that, regardless of where I go, will always be the paradigm for pastoral ministry, the paradigm for any church. It shouldn't be just an allegiance of one. It should always be one who's pointing and then many other people who are pointing to that perfect one. You know what I'm saying? And that can be your life as well. You want to be great, just keep pointing to the one who is so much greater. Keep using your story to, to, to align with his story, and that is true greatness. But John the Baptist, John the Baptist is a celebrator, and he was known for eating crazy things and wearing crazy things, you know, for the Christmas party. And, and you might know that John the Baptist was known for eating uh, locusts and wild honey. 
And, and I was looking on Amazon, and yes, you can buy locusts on Amazon. I, I, was, I was considering maybe we should have this like fear factor moment at Amazing Love. I, I, I thought against it, so you're welcome. <laughs> Not going to bite off the heads of grasshoppers today. Uh, that's what he ate, and then I was considering the wardrobe we had and the crazy wardrobe that's going on. I just really love the ugly sweater phenomenon we got going on. I'm all about it, or the ugly Christmas suits going on. Um, I had this great t-shirt that I found online um, that combined Masters of the Universe and Christmas, you know, that epic, you know, that away, He-Man, right? John the Baptist was known for, for crazy apparel, too. I mean, he, he didn't wear the He-Man shirt, but he was known for wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. He was trying to start this trend, I guess. I'm not sure if he had on. Um, and, uh, and, and eating these locusts and wild honey. But, but as he got into Christmas celebrations, what he proves to us is that truly celebrating isn't about the food and it isn't about what you wear. And that should be known. It isn't really about the food. Locusts, I don't think, are that good. I, I haven't tried them. Probably won't will. And it's not about the apparel. Rather, it's about a message. And that's what we get to hone in today on. John, who prepares us through a powerful word, a word that was prophesied, a word that was just for him, because he was going to prepare the way for the one who was to come, the one who was greater than him, and we get to focus on that today. Does that sound good? All right, well, let's, let's get into his message. His message, um, you can follow along. We're going to read the first seven verses here, or you can follow up here. What, whatever your take is, whatever your fancy. Um, so we read this message. It says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Euteria and Triconitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, it took me a long time to practice that. <laughs> I made it, guys. <laughs> During the priest of Ananias, can I just comment on this a little bit? I love that our faith is not Harry Potter. I love that our faith is not a fanciful story. I love that our faith has historical roots that if you went to Jerusalem today, you would see digs, you would see archaeology that all supports the evidence of the Bible. I love that it refers to the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar because you can actually locate a date and a time when all this was taking place, and this is about 27 AD. How awesome that we don't need to have a blind faith. How awesome if you're an intellectual, God doesn't look down on your wisdom, doesn't look down on your love of historicity, but he speaks right into it saying, yeah, you want real facts? I got them. Fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar, all this came to be. But it goes on, what came to be? Um, the word of God came to, I'm going to do that a lot because I'm sick, but I'll just have that like puberty moment again. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And what was that? He, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This was a message, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of uh, the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds out coming to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. <laughs> this always strikes me because what if that was like our church greeting? You know, they're coming to church. Hey, brood of vipers. Like, this isn't very seeker sensitive. I'm just, anyway, sorry. I might go off the hand. I'm sick, guys. Anyway. 
<coughs> who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. We'll see why he goes off later. But if I sum all his preparation up, I could sum up, here's how you prepare. Here's how you celebrate like none other. It's one word. It's called repent. Repent. And what is it to repent? Repenting is what Dexter Fowler did this week. <laughs> he thought it was a good idea to be on the Cubs, which was a good idea, but then he thought it was a good idea, changed his mind, and he's going to the Cardinals, my friends. He repented. Repenting is just changing your mind. I think a certain way, but now I'm going to think a new way today. I think it may have been good to follow life my way, by my rules, by what I thought was good, but maybe, maybe I can change my mind and I can gravitate towards God's view and God's way and what God says about my life. Maybe there is this thing called absolute truth out there that we don't have to live in a society of subjective morality or subjective truth but that there is this truth from God that if I change my mind to it will produce something good in me, will help me to celebrate. That's what repentance is all about. And that's what we get to talk about today as we prepare while we wait. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. Um, every now and then I like to relive what I learned in, in school. And I convinced myself that it was good lessons to learn. And, and I'm going to get you back into school uh, environment a little bit. Does anyone remember learning in school about caste systems? Caste systems. Okay, yeah, caste systems. And particularly, I remember learning about caste systems in the, the country of India. And, and let me explore and get you in my, my, my tutelage, my, my, my classroom today. Here's the caste system in India. That they have levels of people that you actually born into. And so at the very top, and I'm going to just, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this well, the, the Brahmins, which are priests and teachers, in their society, priests and teachers are on the top. So maybe I should move to India. That would be top. All right. Um, the Kshitaris, and I totally, Atari, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the next level is warriors and rulers. Okay, so the next level, you have priests, but then warriors and rulers. I'm not going to pronounce it, but the next level is farmers, traders, and merchants. And then you have laborers. And you really don't want to be stuck here, the Dalits or the outcasts, the street sweepers and latrine keepers. Now what's interesting is that they don't follow the American dream. The American dream goes countercultural to the caste system. Because in America we say it doesn't matter what you're born into, you can always rise to the top. It doesn't matter if you're born lower class, if you work hard enough, you can get to the upper class. And we're familiar with different things, but they just thought that you're born a certain way. You're the born on the top, in the middle, and it is what it is, based on your birth order. There's a reason I took you back to grade school. Because in our lesson, what was going on was a similar thought spiritually. They thought spiritually you were born into certain levels, and let me explore what they were believing. They thought at the top of the spiritual spectrum were the Pharisees, were the chief priests and the teachers of the law. If you were one of those, it didn't matter who you were by, by just being in that group or category, you're spiritually elite. Then you had the Jews, those born of Abraham. And, and if you were born of Abraham, you were again above everyone else just by your birth order, what you were born into. 
Then you had Gentiles, and, and, and then the really bad spiritually were Samaritans, who were just despised by the spiritualists of the day, the spiritual thought of the day. John the Baptist is preaching to disrupt the whole caste system of spirituality. And his message again was this. He, he was saying, brood of vipers, and the reason he was so upset in this greeting is because they believed that they were born into something special. Just by being born, they thought, I'm spiritually good just because I'm Jewish. I'm spiritually good just because I was born of Abraham. And he needed to say, no, you are not good based on your birth order. You are not good just based on who you are um, coming into this world. For what John understood is something that we understand. That there's only one category of people. And it's something that we even admit to when sometimes we say, well, nobody's perfect. It's something that is found at the end of this passage that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You want to know the only category that people are found in? It's just broken. That's it. Just broken people. And you know this, don't you? There's broken people in the north and in the south. There's broken people in every socioeconomic status. There's broken people in every community, in the city, in the suburbs. There's broken people in the east and the west. There's broken people in America and every country in the world. It's just broken people. And that's what we consider. You know, I've been having conversations about church. And one of the great things about Amazing Love, I think, is, is the environment that has been created here. Because the people that have gathered have always believed that the church shouldn't be about a social club as much as it should be about a hospital. And I believe that is the paradigm for any church. That we shouldn't be about a social club, but that we should be about a hospital. So that when people enter these doors, they can, they can just let their guard down. They can just be real, and they can be honest saying, I don't have it all together, and we can say, welcome, we don't either. Welcome, we don't either. And in fact, if I would split up the categories and take this even further, I think there are two different categories of broken people. And there is one type of brokenness that we don't want to be. Um, there's broken and there's the willingness to admit it. And there's brokenness and there's not being willing to admit it. The reason that the Pharisees were called the brood of vipers is because they're in the second category. They were broken, but they weren't willing to admit it. They were broken, but they were putting on airs. They are being what we call hypocrites. That, that act a certain way, but do a different way that speak a certain way but, but can't follow it through. And so again, he spoke very honestly, very forcefully to these groups. So I wanted to ask you, what category do you fall in today? Are you broken and willing to admit it? Or are you putting on airs? Are you broken and you're not willing to admit it? Let me draw this out just a little bit before you answer Last week, if you were here, we asked a sobering question. And we asked the question, um, what if Christmas 2016 isn't your preferred season? What if you're in a really hard season? What if you envision marriage to go a certain way and it's not going that way and you don't know if it ever can? 
What if you envisioned your career a certain way and, and you haven't hit those levels and I don't know if you ever will and it's not going how you envision? What if you're a kid and you didn't, you didn't get into the school of your choice and, and, and it isn't working out how your parents wanted it to and, and it's just not going the way you thought it would go? What if this Christmas is, is especially hard based on relationships or circumstances? Do you want to know the good news about that case if you're in a bad season? And that is this. If you can relate to this on any level, I believe in broken circumstances, it's easier for us to admit we're broken. Is it possible the only reason that you're so broken right now is so you can humbly admit, I need something outside of myself? Is it to recognize I don't have the strength to get through it on my own? Is it to say to God, I need what only you can give because I'm drowning without you? Let me go on. As we talk about how to celebrate, we might talk about what to bring to God. And uh, we had this Thanksgiving uh, sermon series, and, and maybe you're thinking of, you know, the, the plan giving, and, and this is a gift you can give to God. But you want to know that the best gift you can give him, the best way to celebrate Psalm 51 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. The best thing we can give is this willingness of being broken. Is to say again, I don't have it all together. So what category? Have I prompted you enough? Can you look at your past and say, man, there is something there that I wish wouldn't have happened. Maybe it was a singular event that you wish you could have just hit backspace on. Undo, delete. Maybe it's something this week, and it's so busy that you know you're letting some things drop. You know you're not having it all together. You know you're not loving in ways that you'd love to love. Maybe it's something that you said. Do you know what I'm talking about? We can all look at our past and find some reason for brokenness. If in these moments that has struck you, I invite you to say something with me. Um, I invite you to say this, to say I'm broken and I'm willing to admit it. So on the count of three, all who are ready can, can say this with me and, uh, and, and just admit to the Lord. So one, two, three, I'm broken and I'm willing to admit it. If that's the case, then you have reason to celebrate like no other. Because Jesus never looks as beautiful until you realize you're broken. <laughs> Jesus, the complete one, comes into this world just for us. And where he is, there is healing, and there is hope, and there is binding up the brokenhearted. This Jesus who felt our frailty, and yet never bent to a single sin, and says to those who believe in me, you are now considered complete. No longer broken, but complete, because I am the sinless one. This one who would grow up and bear our cross. And the cross speaks that the broken can now be healed. Those who are in a bad season can be in a season of joy. No matter their earthly circumstances. Those who are suffering can be released from that suffering. Those who wonder what is to come know what is to come. Because after he died, he rose again. And we have a celebration that will be eternal. 
Dear friends, you may consider yourself broken at times, but I need to tell you, no, you're complete in Christ, and this is the, the news of Christmas. This is the reason we celebrate. So we prepare. We know John the Baptist, he's not done helping us prepare. He, he did some work in our hearts, and that's the work that we just did. But there's some other things that he had to share with us. And I want to focus on those as well. And, and, and the next point, it reminds me of the problem of being vertically challenged. And let me just say, I love people who are vertically challenged. I'm married to one. And, and, and let, me, let me say, it's not your fault, and, and God loves you, and, and, and you're a snowflake. So, so all those good things. But, but there's a problem with being vertically challenged, and, and that is being in an environment where you just can't see. Um, it, it reminds me of being in the Chris Kindle market. If you go to the Chris Kindle market and you're vertically challenged, it's not a great time for you. Um, or if you go to a concert and you're vertically challenged, um, um, th this is, wow, uh, this is what you'll see. Um, and that's not a great time for you either, right? And, and if you've ever had that experience, maybe you've just had in your gut this, this, this wanting, this, this, this lingering, this, this desire for everyone just to move out of the way so that I can see. Right? Move out of the way so that I can see what is going on and celebrate with everyone else because I shouldn't be punished because I'm vertically challenged. What happens to short people is what happens to us at Christmas, and this is how. The season gets so cluttered by everything else in our line of sight that we forget to, to, to see what's really going on, to see what's really on display, and to see Jesus Christ. And so what I just want to give some advice to is to do this, is to clear the clutter. Is to clear the clutter. This is how you prepare yourself. And I just want to give you permission. It's a season where you say yes to everything. I want to give you permission to say no. Okay? I want to give you permission to say no to your Christmas family card. Especially if you're doing one of those crossword puzzles and you really want to be clever. It's okay if you don't do it. Alright? They're still going to love you. I want to say it's okay if your, your Christmas gathering isn't as elaborate as you, you hoped it might be. I want to say it's okay if you don't do everything on the checklist. Because there is only one thing that is necessary this Christmas. And it is to recognize that Jesus came for you because he's got crazy love for you and you are now whole. That's the only thing that matters. Everything else is periphery. Everything else is the tall people standing in the way. You can clear the clutter. Okay? John the Baptist was saying this when he spoke these words. He said, every valley shall be filled in. What happens when a valley shall be filled in? It means it's now level. Every mountain and hill should be made low. What happens when a mountain is made low? It's made level. The crooked road shall become straight. If I straighten this out, it becomes one line of path. And the rough ways are the hilly ways made smooth. Once again, he's talking about clearing the way for what? So that people will see the salvation of God. He's saying clear everything out. Just so you can see what the angels announced and what the shepherds saw. That Jesus comes into the world. I consider what Isaiah said. Isaiah, it was the same, the same valleys filled in. It said, for the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it. I don't know about you. I don't mind if I miss some Christmas light displays, but I don't want to miss the glory of the Lord. I think it's better. So how about this, folks? How about we have a little less Santa and a little more Savior? 
How about we have a little less presence and a little bit more meditation over what the shepherds celebrated? How about in this busy American society, we clear the periphery and make way for our hearts to celebrate what truly matters, whether your celebration has eggnog or not, or the logos on the napkins, or everything in its place. But what's interesting about this season is it's a microcosm of the American life. Because as I've observed being your pastor for seven years, you're not just busy this season, are you? You're busy every season. And we play over in our minds the story that Jesus was trying to teach us when he came over to the house of Mary and Martha. Do you remember this story? Do you remember when Jesus came over? Now, Martha is the epitome of what I usually react on. You know, I can't imagine hosting the Son of God. I would go out of my mind, right? I, we had a Reformation rally, and some of you helped with that. We had 450 people, and some of you had evidence. I almost lost it. Like, I was on, like, breakdown mode. Like, it was like, it wasn't pretty because 450 people were coming. So, like, I relate with Martha, and I relate with busyness, you know, and, and, and much of me is running around, you know, concerned about many things. But then there was Mary. And Mary, just instead of saying, what can I give Jesus, was like, what can Jesus give to me? And I love that. And Mary just sat down while her sister was doing all the work. And Mary was the one who was praised as having the one thing needful. And I, I just want to tell busy Americans, do you have the one thing needful? Are you so concerned about what, what you're going to give to everyone? as mom and dad, as, as host, as, as grandparent? Are you so concerned about what you're going to give, or are you more concerned about what he's going to give? Because that's the heart of the gospel. And you have opportunity not to miss it. So, as I ask the question, what are you doing to hold on to the one thing that is needful? Maybe because you know it's crazy, you need to schedule a family gathering where you just read Luke 2. Maybe you need to schedule because it's so busy when you're going to pray this season because it's not going to happen if you don't put it on the calendar. You need to schedule and prioritize how you're going to see the Savior come. But let's close. There's a final way to prepare. And to talk about this, I want to talk about chores at the Bloomer household. This past week, uh, a cold like no one's business came over the Bloomer household, and I'm still dealing with it. So if this sermon makes sense at all, I'm happy. Um, and, and I was trying to help out my wife, and sometimes when I clean, I try to get the deep cleaning done because, you know, there's never an opportunity to do the deep cleaning. And so I looked under the sink of the kitchen. And oh my goodness, friends. You know one of those cans that shoots the worm out? You know that, that thing? That was like our kitchen, but with plastic bags. And so I went to work, and I was clearing stuff out like no one's business, throwing stuff away. I just love throwing stuff away. And, and I, I finally got to the, the, the kitchen sink to look like this, or under the kitchen sink to look like this. Right? Right? Yeah? But let me ask you if you've ever done deep cleaning. Let me ask you. If someone messes up what you just did, how are you going to feel about it? You know what I'm saying. So even though I was glad to make it clean once again, and it was fulfilling and self-gratifying, <laughs> there's going to be business done. 
over someone who messes it up. <laughs> you have been made complete. Do you know that? Today, if Jesus returns, that'd be awesome. If he comes back the second time this Christmas, you're already complete. You are good to go. If Jesus comes and turns this day, you're going to heaven to be with the Lord. How awesome is this? You have peace. But I think to truly celebrate the season, why don't we just continue to act as clean as God sees us? You know what I'm saying? Act according to that completeness that is already in us through faith in Jesus. That's our opportunity. Let's keep the kitchen sink clean. You know, it's, it's this idea, act according to your completeness, that, that, that John was speaking about when he was talking to the rich people and the tax collectors and the soldiers. He wasn't telling them to be saved by what they do. Um, that's impossible. No one can be saved by what they do. But what he was telling them is act according to this message of repentance. Act according to this message of forgiveness. What he said is, what should we do? Well, then anyone with two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food, do the same. Tax collectors came, teacher, what should we do? Do not collect any more than you are required to. Then some soldiers said, what should we do? He said, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. He was just saying, act according to what this God made you. If you are complete, live like it. If you're a child of God, live like it. If God made you to be a light, then shine brightly. You want to celebrate? How are you going to re reflect Jesus? I got away. Invite him to Christmas at Amazing Love. How many think I'm going to preach Jesus like no one's business? Could you do that? I think so. Share our Facebook post. I'd love to see that. Give him a card. Let him know that they too can be made complete because you shined a light. And through everything else going on, you recognized what truly mattered because you wanted to celebrate like nobody's business and John told you how. Let me pray for you. We close with prayer. So.